Okay, here's the gist. I'm a gay guy who's been living in New York City for the past three decades. I got shit to talk about. I also have awesome friends who also have a lot of shit to talk about. That's what this podcast is about. Way off the record. People that you never hear from that you need to hear from. Because trust me, girl, you need this fabulous in your life. Welcome to a special edition of Way Off the Record. My guest today is the director, writer, producer of the brilliant documentary Olympia about the life of Olympia Dukakis. Harry, how are you? Hey, Scott. I'm good. I'm good. It's great to be here. It's great to have you after all of, all of our talking about this. And like, I'm going to try to pronounce your name because I didn't even do that on the intro. So, Harry Carolambos Mavromikalis. Mavromikalis, yes. The, the, the Charalambos part is my baptist, baptism name. Oh, okay. It's just in legal papers, that's what it is. And I guess in IMDb, they threw everything in there. But yeah, it, it's just Harry. <laughs> IMDb, that's what IMDb, IMDb bills you at. Actually, they bill you both. It's like Harry Carolambos Mavromikalis and then Harry Mavromikalis yeah, as well. Yeah. So they got you covered. I wanted to ask you real quick, um, on IMDb, it gives the released, release date uh, of G July 9th, 2020? Yep. Right? That's right. Okay. So tell, tell me, did you get a distributor and where can people find this movie to see it? Because they should see it. Yes. Yeah, so... Pre-COVID, I mean, we do have a distributor. Abramorama is the okay. distributor. Uh, we were supposed to come out in March at the Quad in, in Manhattan. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the theaters that was to play our film. And then it moved to June, still at the Quad, when things were not sure, you know, like around right. February. Right. Um, so then when, you know, we figured out that that was not happening. Uh, we tried to figure out a different way of, uh, of uh, you know, how to distribute the film. And we um, came up with uh, virtual cinema. So virtual cinema is a, common, is a word that now everybody's using, but I think a lot of people don't really understand what it is. Uh, it sounds fascinating. <laughs> well, so places like Film Forum, Mm -hmm. or the quad the quad doesn't uh, have virtual cinema so it's not a a good example but film form has the ability to play films online so you know premiere with new films and uh charge like a theater ticket and you watch the film at home oh wow so it's different than streaming it's different than itunes and amazon prime in that sense that we are having a theatrical release but it's virtually right so, let me ask you does that affect like oscar contention or or any like do they have a category for that or is it just straight so up if you it, this year the the academy of arts and sciences have has changed the rules just for now where you can you can be an Oscar contender even if you don't have a vir virtual uh, cinema release. Okay. If you go straight to streaming. You could still be a contester, uh, contender. 
Um, but virtual cinema is basically having your theatrical release. So we would have been, even if this wasn't the case, we would have been, you know, able to, um, you know, submit, let's say. Okay, good. All right. So that's all I'm caring about right now. I want you to be, I want you, I want to see you in the, in the Kodak theater or whatever it is. So let's talk about Kodak theater. <laughs> I know. Um, that's about, you know, so they're not doing the Oscars this year, are they? Um, it's, yeah. it's, you know, I, I have to say I went through severe depression because of, uh, of all this, because you work, I've worked for, uh, this is the ninth year of Olympia, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah. It, it, it's kind of like a lifetime of a dream come true. Um, and then COVID happened. And at the beginning, you, you know, you're kind of like selfish. You don't think about people dying and, uh, you know, and you're thinking of all about yourself. Like you've worked on, on this thing for nine years and now it's ready to come out and boom, like it's not happening. Yeah. yeah. And then you start, you know, putting things in perspective and you're like, oh my God, thank God for my health and the people that I love that are fine and, and we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Well, as time progressed, you realize that this is a really good time to um, release a film because there's so much demand for content. Yeah, for, yeah. You know, you know, people being stuck at home and there's not anything releasing. You know, the big studios are, have all shut down. There's, you know, other than other documentaries or small indie films, nothing is coming out. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know, we're going to do well with, uh, with the release of the, of the film at this specific, you know, time. So when, um, when will people be able to see the film streaming? So we've decided to do, okay. So it comes out on virtual cinemas on July 10th. Okay. Now we will have all that information on our website, uh, olympiathefilm.com. Okay. Good. People Thank can you. come and register uh, their names so they can get, you know, uh, information. But all the movie theater, all the art house movie theaters that have virtual cinema uh, abilities and book our film will be on our website. So people can go on our website and choose where they want to give their money to. Nice. To, you know, a movie theater in Minneapolis or LA or Film Forum or whatever. So nice. that list will come up on our website closer to July 10th, which okay. is the, would be the premiere. But we also wanted to do a free release on Facebook Live on the 9th of July. Oh. And, and the reason we wanted to do this is because I kept hearing of nonprofit organizations that have been like hurting financially, theater companies that are shutting down. And so we try to figure out how we can help. How can this little tiny film help other organizations through this COVID, you know, uh, period. And right. we came up with this idea where we do our Facebook live premiere, one screening on, on November, um, July 9th at 8 p.m we have partnered with about 30 organizations nationwide where they will cross post the film on their Facebook page. So, wow. and they can bring people audience, their audience into their uh, 
uh, Facebook page using Olympia's big name, right? right, you know, right. And then once they're there, they will ask for donations from um, their audiences, their followers to raise money for their organizations. We get zero, we get nothing. You right. know, so the idea is to just help um, nonprofits. And we went for nonprofits that have um, something to do with our film and who Olympia and who I am. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's LGBTQ organizations, there's theater companies, there's women's uh, organizations, um, and, there's, and there's a couple of Greek um, American organizations. That's so, you know, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation is one, the Actors Studio, the Actors Fund, um, um, Ten Chimneys, which is a theater uh, foundation in Wisconsin. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a big list and we're very excited um, to be right. doing that because we hope reach. to raise a lot of money for a lot of people. Right. And the reach also yes. uh, of all of those organizations and, and your page and I have to say, I haven't seen any um, ads for that. I'm pretty sure I'm signed up for the, the Olympia page. How are, you, how are you promoting that event on July 9th? So we, the promotion is starting um, soon. Uh, oh, good. Okay, okay. We, we were focusing on uh, the drive-in. Uh, mm. mm -hmm. uh, which was another fundraiser. Basically, we... We did a show and all the proceeds went to a, um, a theater company in Queens that's Greek American, you know, inspired by nice. Olympia's history. Um, and it was just like a small, we were sold out, but it was like a small screening of 43 cars, uh, <laughs> you know, who came to the diner, uh, Bel Air Diner, that's and hilarious. the film. So, yeah. Um, but we have a publicity uh, a PR firm behind us, Falco. Uh, who has been reaching out. We will be reviewed by the New York Times. We're trying to get a, a USA Today story and nice. how to get on NPR. All that will be happening from today till um, July 9th. Did you, what, what, the, the PR play, is it Spotco? S-P-O-T-C-O? The firm? Yeah. Uh, Falco. F-A-F-C-O. Oh, oh. Falco, yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, cause Spotco does all the Broadway posters and stuff and sorry, I'm mixing my <laughs> Broadway and <laughs> my Broadway and film world. Yeah. So let, let's just talk. I want to talk to you about your upbringing in Cyprus and what that was like and how that sure. may have affected you, your life as a gay man, as a filmmaker, as a dancer. And I want to just get into a little bit more about, tell me about you, Harry. Jesus <laughs> God. <laughs> Well, my up, uh, let's start with my upbringing because it's, uh, it's a little unique in the sense that I, I wasn't raised in one country. Um, I was born in Cyprus. Um, we moved to England when I was 11. When I was 13, we went to Iraq. Uh, when I was 14, we went to Bahrain in the Middle East, which is a tiny little island uh, in the Arabian Gulf next to Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. where I graduated high school there. Uh, and then went to the military in Cyprus for two years, um, did a year in Cyprus, and then moved to Boston. Boston. To start, Man. To start my, um, my university degree, um, graduated from Rutgers 
in New Jersey and then moved to Copenhagen in Denmark for a year where I, um, I did dancing because I graduated in, with um, you know, Spanish literature and public relations. I had no idea what I wanted to study in high school because art, dance, film was just not an option. Like I, no one really? has spoken to me that I could actually do that. And when I decided that I did want to do dance and spoke to my parents, my parents said, you will do something serious first and right. then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and well, that, that's the Spanish lit and communications part? That's the Spanish lit and communications. And uh, I was in college for three years and the college kept saying to me, you have to, you have to declare what you're studying. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. You know, I, I, yeah. went, I did a year abroad in Madrid through BU. And I, I think that's how I ended up doing the Spanish literature because I loved Sp learning Spanish. And then I started doing literature classes and blah, 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 blah. So I just kind of like graduated, you know, without really wanting to do any of the stuff that I was doing, you know? And as soon as I graduated, I was like, I moved to Copenhagen and I got into a dance school and, you know, started my, you know, slowly my dance training, which led to my dance career, you know, and being a dancer and then a choreographer. That is some CD. How many languages do you speak? I speak three languages and I, um, I took six years of French which I wouldn't say that I speak it. <laughs> if I spend Honestly. enough time in France, I can start understanding what everybody's saying. But yeah, yeah, French is not one of them. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that you have lived what most people would have to spend 10 lifetimes, it seems. And just, just what you're saying now, that's amazing. Well, it, it, you know, I'm, I feel blessed. It's a really lonely life. It's a really, it has been a lonely existence because you don't have high school reunions. You don't have friends oh. who live in the same country as you. Like I was in, in a high school in Bahrain where all my best friends are, you know, were from. Mm -hmm. And we were uh, 51 nationalities. Um, <laughs> You know, so wow. once we left Bahrain, everybody went home and hmm. uh, we don't see each other often. And the other thing is that you kind of feel, um, you kind of feel alone in the sense of how you see the world. Like mm -hmm. the people who were in this place have, were so diverse. We were so, there was no clicks of like the English, the Irish, the Italian, it was all together constantly. Right. And so you go out in the world and you don't see race, you don't see religion, you don't see, um, you know, you just see people and you go to places, even my home, you know, Cyprus, which is very racist, you know, and, mm. um, or even in the States or even in New York, you know, we think of New York as diverse, you know, I, I, I don't, I think it's a very segregated city. Um, I do too. So... Well, especially if you go anywhere, if you go half an hour outside of New York City. I think Manhattan is segregated. Yeah, yeah. I, you go to a restaurant and you see, you know, I remember going to Atlanta for the first time and walking into restaurants and seeing tables that had, you know, black and white people together. Mm. All of that. 
Mm -hmm. where we go to restaurants here in New York and it's basically the white tables and the black tables, you yeah. know, and you yeah. don't notice that you, we think we're diverse, but we're not. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it, it, it was a blessing and I would not, I would do it all over again, but it, it is definitely, you know, it has its, you know, down, you know, how I say it's, it, it's a lonely existence. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Now that you're, I mean, you're basically settled in New York now, right? So, yeah. and I love it. Oh, good. So that's given you some, yes, like home I base. I couldn't live anywhere else. I couldn't live yeah. anywhere else. Yeah. 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 I, I, I hear you. Um, uh, you know, I grew up in upstate New York, um, which is like another country. Where, where upstate? Um, <laughs> Gloversville, like the glove. Yeah. Um, it was the glove making capital of the world, like for real. Wow. Turn of the last century. Um, and my father and his father and brothers had a glove making shop. And um, it was a great place to grow up, I have to say. But, you know, it was also really difficult growing up gay in upstate New York in the 80s. It was like uh, I had to, I had to, uh, try to pass, yeah. you know, as, as best I could. And then once I left and I went to college in another town in upstate Oneonta um, is when I finally like came out and realized that I can make friends and I'm not a freak and complete paradigm shift. And so, so for me, New York has been like a big blessing. Well, I mean, we're, we're, it's the city of misfits. Yeah, exactly. Right? You exactly. know, like we're, we're, we've come from all over the world because, I mean, I couldn't see myself, you know, living in Cyprus at the time. Now things are different, but I'm talking about when I was growing up, I couldn't see myself, you know, being gay there because yeah. I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. And what was the one place that you could do that and you could be yourself was New York, you know, right. and uh, that's why we all come here. We all come here. <laughs> To reinvent yourselves. <laughs> it's it's funny, exactly. You call it you call it um rightly so New York is the city of misfits. And I feel like in not a conscious way that this podcast, um I'm getting interviews with people that I really respect, like you, like Dirty Martini, the burlesque star. Um I have a porn star on 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 the docket. Um, Vera, uh is going to be on. I have Joey Arias, and so it's it's sort of like my tribe. You know, I think I have to like rewrite the the business proposal of or whatever the of the the gist of what this podcast is, and it's all about like freaks and and misfits and stuff. And yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. You know, um, so uh, tell me how moving from dance to film. Tell me how that happened with you in your career. Um, okay, so it was purely accidental. Uh, <laughs> uh, you picked a really difficult career to just sort of accidentally happen into, girl. I'm just letting you know, but you did it perfectly. It was, it was done, like, like I said, because art was not part of my vocabulary or my parents vocabulary um 
you know, even dance, my cousin invited me to go see her uh, dancing in her dance class in Cyprus. This was when mm -hmm. I was in the army. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll come, you know, because she, I, I was a dancer, like club dancing. You know, I was dancing every weekend. I was out clubbing, you know, <laughs> dance all night. And so she knew how much I loved dance. So she invited me and I went to the class and I saw people learning how to dance. And my brain just exploded. And I, and I went to the teacher at the end and I was like, what is going on here? Wow. I said, I want to I do this. Wow, and how old were you now? You're looking. I was 20? I was 19. I was 19 years old at this point. Okay. And she said, um, she said, sit down. She had me like turn out my legs and do some exercise just to see my, you know, my physical ability. Mm -hmm. and she said, well, why don't you come and take beginners ballet? You know, with like the five-year-olds or you know <laughs> the seven-year-olds. <laughs> no, really? no, actually, no. At the beginning, we just took modern like jazz dance. And uh, okay. after the first class, she was like, oh, no, no, you're, you're, you're really good. I'm going to move you to the second class. And then, you know, after a week, she moved me, like, within like two months, I was in the advanced level wow. of uh, jazz. And then she was like, you really should start ballet. And, and I was like, okay. Foundation. You know? So I would, it would be literally like, you know, 10 or 15 nine-year-old girls with their tights and their leotards. <laughs> And me with my shorts and my socks. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have a dance belt, I'm guessing. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, you gotta wear one of those. <laughs> gotta keep the boys, you know. Yeah. But that's how, um, you know, and, and it was this teacher of mine, Avgi, uh, her name is, who basically believed in me and said, you really need to do this professionally, you know. And I didn't listen to her right after the army. I listened to my parents, you know, and did yeah. something else. But after, right after that, I was like, fuck this, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go and try this. So I did that for a while. And then um, I wanted to do my master's in dance because, mm -hmm. you know, my training, you know, I, I didn't have a degree in dance. I, I, I studied at the Alvinelli school. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Which was really intense, but I felt for choreography, I wanted to like learn to have training, let's say. So my assistant in the dance company, this uh, um, woman called Ayelan and I, she said, I'm going to, let's go and check NYU's program and see how it is. So mm -hmm. we went together to NYU. We had made an appointment to see the dance department. They walked us around. And as we're leaving, we're both like, mm, this was not good. <laughs> we, did, we did not like it. For yeah, whatever yeah, reason. Yeah. And she said, well, since we're in the building, I want to check out the film department. And there you so go. I just walked with her. So we sat in this office. Susan Carnival was the woman who um, spoke to us about the department. And again, it was like the same experience that I had with my cousin dancing. This woman was talking about filmmaking, filmmaking that mm -hmm. we teach people how to edit and do sound and camera work and producing and directing and and i was like what is going on here <laughs> what is going on and i and we finished and i said i'd love to have an application and she said uh well y you're not going to have enough time you know the application deadline is in two weeks 
and that actually the deadline was on my birthday, November 30th. And that's oh, why wow. I remember it. So wow. this was like mid-November. And she said, you're not going to have enough time. It's a really intensive application. And I was like, well, I said, just give it to me and, you, you know, we'll see. So I went home. I read the application. It had all this, like, writing. I never wrote. You know, like, I wrote poetry for myself. I wrote stuff for myself. I never wrote, like, films and scenes. And, um, and I started the application. I stayed home for two weeks. Um, and I had a friend who was a teacher at FIT. She taught fashion. My alma mater. That I would um, meet with her and show her my writing samples. <laughs> and I will never forget, she would be like, Marion was her name. And she, Marion would be like, oh, God, Harry. Oh, God, Harry, this is terrible. This is just terrible. People don't talk like that. <laughs> oh, no. So she would help me, you know, and then she could like, yeah, like tone it down. And, yeah. you know, it's more subtext than just like whatever's in your head. And um, so on November 30th, I showed up at NYU into Susan's office. And I'm like, here's the application. And she's like, oh, my God. She goes, you're done? And I said, yeah, I mean, I don't know how good it is, but I'm done. Yeah. And, then I, and I forgot about it. Honestly, I totally forgot about it. I had my dance company. We were doing, you know, working on shows. Um, and then it was, I want to say January or February, where I got a call that said that um, I was selected. Um, they selected 80 people for interviews. And then from those 80 people, they would select 36 for the program. Whoa. So I went to the wow. interview, failed. I felt like I failed it miserably. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was, there were, you know, there was one question that I, I kept stuttering. I couldn't um, respond to what they were saying. And then they asked me, um, it was two men and a woman in the, the panel. And they asked me who was my favorite director. And I said, Lars von Trier. Oh. <laughs> And the woman in the panel turns around and says to me, why? Because he's a misogynist. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't like, I was like, no, fuck, no, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, so I, I left that, I left the interview and I wasn't, I was depressed. I went home and I stayed, I, I shut myself in for two days. And then I was like, okay, I did my best. I didn't right. know that. Right. And then they called me a week later that I was accepted. Um, and my mom was visiting at the time. I had asked my mom to come to New York for three months because I wanted to do a cookbook with her, just get her all her recipes. Oh, my uh, God. And so she was there. And I was like, Mom, you know, first of all, I was screaming and yelling and yeah, happy, happy, happy. And then I was like, Mom, like, I've had the dance company for seven years. People are just starting to recognize the name. You know, when I say the name, they're like, oh my God, you know, I've seen you, blah, blah, blah. You know, I really love your work. And you know, what, was the name? what was the name of the company? Dance Anonymous. Okay. Dance Anonymous. And I said, is it, is it stupid to just kind of like give that up and start something from, you know, from, from, from scratch? Mm -hmm. And I remember her saying, typical Greek mother, she said, how many people uh, applied for the school, for, you know, for this? And I was going to ask you that. And I was like, a thousand. 
And she goes, and how many people did they select? And I said, 36. And she goes, are you stupid? <laughs> Yay, mama. Yay, mama. What's your mother's so, name? Joanna. Joanna, thank yeah. you. <laughs> so I tried to do both. It's a three-year master's program. For the first two years, I had my dance company and was in full-time in, in film school. Are you kidding uh, me? Yeah, it was, oh it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And then I... I shut down the company after two years. And how old were you when you started the NYU program? 34. Wow. 34 to 37, yeah. I was the second oldest student of those 36. <laughs> I was Papa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I've been in that boat a million times. That's yeah. amazing. And so... So you, um, can, you change careers without knowing it. Yeah, basically. yeah. Which I well, think, I think most people, that's what they do. Like, I don't, I don't know. I hear this story over and over again where people just make a decision to go here to try something. And then 10 years later, they're still there. You know, like they've, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm 54 years old and I started a podcast a year ago. Not even a year. Yeah. And... And before that, it was graphic design, and I went to school at FIT at 40. And um, You went to FIT at 40? Yeah. Well, I matriculated before that, like three or four years before that, because I was working full-time. And, and then I joined the program with those credits and then went on for three years to finish my BA, not... Yeah, yeah. That's and it completely changed my whole paradigm. Yeah. You know? Um, so bravo for us old folks. Yes. <laughs> Let's have a look at a scene from Olympia, the documentary. We feel in the theater because someplace we know all of this that's inside of us, we will have a chance to access it and liberate it. To the green room! <laughs> she has a life force, like one of those spaceships that has this battery that takes you out to the stars. You can see it when you're in the room with her. You know, you can see it in her work. Fuck you! You got a love bite on your neck. He's coming back this morning. What's the matter with you? Your life's going down the toilet. Olivia Dukakis in your seat. Everybody was thrilled that a great actress who had dedicated her life to the arts was finally getting the recognition that she deserved. Olympia the actress is superb. Her range is frightening and wonderful to watch. It's what every actor wants. I want it. Hit this! Go ahead, Malin! Slopper! One of the things that makes me happy and alive is work. What are you afraid of doing? Something wrong? You're in a Something. basement on Clinton Street. <laughs> she believes injustice, justice for people who are downtrodden, justice for people who've been manipulated or lied to. I'm so proud of my preoperative, transsexual, lesbian son. I remember her eyes. They were very sexy. And I says, oh my God, this woman. And then she wasn't a shrinking violet. She never was. <laughs> you dance with somebody, bang, that prick is hard, you know? You rub against somebody, you walk into the prick is hard. I said, but then, the day comes that you can't take for granted a hard break. 
I'll walk down the street and there'll be a wonderful wind. I love wind. And that I think about not having this anymore, not having that wind. And I have this flash of fear. You know what, Rosemary? I'm an octogenarian today. Is that toilet paper? No, oh my God. I'm 80 years old. I find that unforgivable. There's only one way to know. I have to go out and find out. Is it time to stop? It's so, never too late. It's never too late. So in regards to your question, um, what filmmakers inspire you and why? So Lars von Trier, Breaking the Waves. Breaking the Waves. Holy shit. Oh God, and... and uh, um, I should have better recall. I'm so bad with uh, remembering names. Uh, Me too. Me too. Dancer, the dancer, uh, dancer in the dark. Oh, dancer in the dark with dancer Bjork. Yeah. Dark, oh. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I, you know, I uh, give, me, give me your top three directors. Yeah, that inspire you. That maybe had something in the back of your head making Olympia. Oh no, no, none of, none of, none of that. Okay. I, I, all the directors that I love are uh, narrative directors. I, you know, right. I can, I got into document, I, when I was at NYU, I refused to take any documentary classes. I was too good for documentaries. Oh, wow. Okay. I was like, I don't want to do documentaries. That sounds boring. Like, I want to do narrative. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what cool. I'm saying. Like, I never, I did. I was working on a script for three years, which I had applied to, in Cyprus to the Ministry of Culture for funding. When 2013 happened, in Cyprus, the crash happened in 2011. No, 2011. Um, it was like two years after here. Uh -huh. And it was at the time when my script was in for consideration and um, that just disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, and I was craving to be creative and I needed to do something. And mm -hmm. I, and this opportunity came with Olympia and I kind of went, the initial thing was like, do I want to do a documentary? Like, okay, it's Olympia Dukakis, but do I, do I really want to do this? I'm going to be like pushing myself in a way that maybe I don't want to, you know, so what? Um, and the more I thought about it, the more it, it, it excited me. I had to like, it, it's almost like um, what do you call it when you when you taste something for the first time and you don't you hate it like sushi let's say oh yeah yeah uh, and then little by little you you, you get uh, you acquire the taste you acquire the taste yeah, yeah. I yeah. had to acquire the taste with documentaries now I basically seventy percent of the times or eighty percent of the times I watch documentaries I've become a, a documentary fanatic you know. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but back in the day, it was like the Cohen brothers, uh, you know, <sighs> Lars von Trier, um, and I wasn't a big movie buff. Like I would just go and watch films, and if there was a film that I liked, I liked. I wasn't like a direct like, oh, I need to see this film because, mm -hmm. you know, it was Marianne, my friend at FIT, who said they're going to ask you who's your favorite director and who's your, you know, what oh, yeah, influence yeah. you. So you should know what to say. <laughs> That's such a fucking evil way, evil thing for those 
I mean, you've got to accept it, so it doesn't really matter. But like for you to say, like one of my favorite directors, Lars von Trier, and she's like, why? Because he's a misogynist. Like, fuck you. You know, that's just unfair. That, that, I think that was unfair too. And we've like, why would you? Why would you do that to somebody? <laughs> I, I don't know. I know. It doesn't matter. Fuck. Especially her. in a in a place of where you feel vulnerable, like we're exactly so vulnerable and so scared, and and yeah, yeah. Exactly. But obviously she liked me, you know, whatever like shock I went through, what she said. Maybe it was like two thirds vote, you know, I don't know. Oh, no, I, I mean, she ended up being my teacher. I, I love oh, her. Good. Oh, good. Yeah, no. no, no, no. She's oh, no, I hope she doesn't watch this. <laughs> she, just won, she just won an Oscar. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. I wouldn't want to say names, but she'll understand. All right, good. Um... So I want to talk about the process of, so you, you mentioned earlier that the opportunity to make Olympia came to you. Um, how, how, did, how did you, like, what gave you the idea to start making the film? And then I'll ask some questions about the process of it and, and stuff. So on my third year at NYU, I found out that Olympia Dukakis was teaching a course on acting for directors. Oh. And I was like, you know, yeah, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this class. Like, yeah. absolutely. So and, um, I think at the time you had to register for class at 7 a.m. It was some ridiculous time that you had to wake up, you know, and get first in the classes because they would fill really fast. You know, yeah. they only accepted, I think, seven students uh, per class. And so I got up, I, you know, I practiced uh how to like olympia's class would be the first one that i would you know register for mm -hmm. a minute before seven o'clock my wi-fi breaks down and i'm not able to register at all <laughs> and i run to nyu at 9 a.m and i'm like crying like <laughs> i'm literally crying and I said, you don't understand i don't care what classes i you know what other classes i uh, you put me in i have to take this olympia Dukakis class she's greek I'm Greek. Yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they said, okay, we'll put you in, a, in a, the waiting list. You're number one in the waiting list. Oh, that's good. So then- People always drop out, right? Yeah, exactly. So somebody dropped out. I got in. Uh, a week before class starts, the class gets canceled. So after all this, I, I won the Olympia Dukakis. So uh, at the time, I had a production company in Cyprus where I would basically bring theater shows to Cyprus from all over the world. And I would also bring film professionals to Cyprus to do film workshops, to help with the film industry there. So I was like, well, why don't I invite Olympia to come to Cyprus? Maybe she'll say yes and do a workshop there. So I, um, I pitched it to the head of the department at NYU and he said, send me an email and I will forward it to her assistant. And three days later, I got a call and I pick it up, pick up my call and my phone and I said, hello. And she goes, hello, Harry. This is Olympia Dukakis. No <laughs> way. Oh my God. And I almost fainted. Um, <laughs> so we met, we, for coffee and, you know, I explained to her the whole thing. She's like, yes, I'm interested. If you find the money, absolutely. I'll come and do it. So I did, I found the money and Olympia came to Cyprus and for two weeks. And we had an amazing 
time there. Like I took the workshop for free because I was the organizer. <laughs> oh, right. Right. <laughs> um, and um, but that wasn't part of the film. That was it. Like no, 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 no. Okay. No, okay. I, I had no. No. Yeah. No. I didn't film anything. I mean, photographs, you know, but nothing else. Okay. And then we came back to New York and we kept in contact. Once in a while, we would go for dinner. Um, and it was a year later when I was at Tribeca watching the Carol Channing documentary with my husband, Lance. Mm -hmm. And I was like, again, I was not into documentaries. This was like probably the one of the first bio docs that I was right, watching right. and I was like crying and I was laughing and it was like, it was so fulfilling to watch this. The film ends and I turned to Lance and I said, you know, somebody needs to do a documentary about Olympia. And he said, well, why don't you do it? It's a, you're a filmmaker. And that was the whole discussion with him going, me saying, I don't know, like, first of all, I don't know how to make a documentary. Mm -hmm. I was never interested in a documentary. Do I really want to like, throw myself in this not knowing anything mm -hmm. um but you know i spent some time thinking about it and the more i thought about it the, the more i was like well this would be an interesting subject like subject matter she's fascinating after, you know after knowing her for a year right and that's when i pitched it to her and i thought i was gonna like i was you know that, I, that she was gonna rediscover sliced bread you know that she was going to be like oh my god harry thank you so much you're amazing oh no yeah <laughs> and she was like no harry i don't want to do like, this oh and i was like but but but, but i was wondering what do, mean, what do you mean like like this will be amazing everybody will talk about you and everybody will remember you and and and, and she's like i don't care i remember her saying no one will remember olympia dukakis after my kids, you know, once I go, my kids might talk about Olympia Dukakis for a little bit and maybe a little bit my grandkids later. And that's it. And I was like, well, exactly. That's why we need to do this documentary because you will be forever remembered. Mm -hmm. Like, no, not interested. Wow. I've and been wanting to ask you this question most of all. So how long more, did it take to yeah, convince her? It took three months. It took three months of me, like, Every few days, I would come up with a different reason why she could do it. <laughs> you were badgering her, basically. Badgering, yeah. yeah. But the whole time, l letting her know that I'm doing her a favor. Mm. You know, like the reasons are for her. She should do it because this and this and this and this. And she just kept saying, no, 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 no. And then finally, I had come to terms with the gnome. And mm -hmm. I was like, Olympia, I just want to talk to you one more time. And I, I, I want to come to your place. And I went there. And we, we started talking about stuff. And then I said, listen, you know, I got really emotional. And I said, really, like, the real reason I want to do this is because if I do a documentary about you, I will spend so much more time with you. Oh. And and that like oh. that's what I, that's what I want. I said I've I've learned so much this last year. You're so interesting. I just want to spend more time with you. And she got teared eyed, and says, "Okay, I'll do that for that reason. I'll do it for you." She said. Um, oh my and god! This, and that's the that's the essence of Olympia Dukakis. Like, you know, she 
found a way subconsciously to make me realize that I wasn't doing her any favors. This, I had to dig deep into myself and figure out why I wanted it, you know, and express it. And the minute I expressed it and I was pure and, you know, she just said, okay. Do it, do it for me, not for you. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So once she once she finally agreed to do this, was she? Um, did she grill you about what the structure should be? What she thought, you know, or she just let you have free reign? No, the only thing she said is that this one thing: you do not have access to my children. And I said, "That's totally fine. I don't need access to your kids." Oh wait, they're in the film. Yes. <laughs> so come on now. <laughs> uh, so I said, it's okay. I, you know, I'm happy to just have you, Louie, and then your life, mine as your children. I'm fine with that. And she says, great. And then after that, um, she continued living her life. And then I was constantly working with her uh, personal assistant um, to try and figure out what her schedule is. And then I would just, you know, we would like, okay, I'm gonna come to Lenox, Massachusetts when you're doing The Tempest with mm. Shakespeare Company. Mm -hmm. So she's like, okay, you know, and then I would go there and I would start shooting. And then when she would get sick and tired of me, like, because she had to learn her lines, she'd be like, how are you gonna get out right now? Get out. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm out. And then I would come back the next day. It was kind of like very um, fluid, you know, like I, I showed yeah. up uh, and it was, I mean, to be honest, she hardly ever said, get out. And it was always when she was learning lines and she needed oh, you know, her, her space. But even those days, she would allow me to film for quite a bit. You know, and at some point, she was like, okay. Well, one of the things I love about the film is that there are a few moments that you capture in the film, which not maybe toward you, but you can see her like, I'm over this and I need to like not talk to you right now. Or there's like, Maybe three of those in the in the film. I don't know, um, which just makes me love her all the more because she's like, look, I can give you this, I can give you this. But there's a limit, you know, and she's very like headstrong and vocal about that. And I love that you captured that part of it, you know. Yeah, and there was more stuff that I wanted to, you know. I mean, the, there was a scene in LA. She had, she was just, she just had the accident. Remember the the black eye that she yeah. had. Yeah. And, um, and literally two days after that, she flew to LA to rehearse for Vigil that was going to uh, play at the Mark Tabor Theater. Um, and they put her in this hotel apartment situation on the, th on the ground floor with all these plants that were covering the windows. She didn't have access to air. Um, I think she was psychologically disturbed because of the accident. There was a lot you know, that she was dealing with that. And yeah. uh, I kept trying to help her with figuring out where to go. She wanted either to change, to go to a hotel or change floors. And she just couldn't make a decision, you know? And as mm -hmm. a man, you are very practical and you say, what don't you like? Tell me what you want and I will work this thing out. You know, right. Right. her as a woman, she was expressing, you know? And I was trying to like, grab what she was saying to make it into my 
tech, you know, practical mind and figure out a solution. Right. And at some point she stopped. We were walking somewhere and she goes, you don't understand. It's not that. I don't know what I want. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, it shouldn't be me trying to decide this. You know, like they should, you know, figure this thing out for me. And and, and, (laughs) and I had it in the film. I loved it. I loved it. Kind of like, you know, but then things get trimmed out. And director's real, director's cut, right? Can you do that at some point? Well, (laughs) extra scenes, social media. Right. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, how long did, so from the point where she said yes, how long did, was it from that to starting production? Oh, because there's lots uh, of like planning and stuff that you had to do and no, no. So, so I basically, cause I didn't have any money right? Uh, and right. I had to, that was the other thing that made a documentary attractive to me because I didn't have any money and I thought documentaries I could just you know have a cinematographer and I would do sound I did sound for my film so it was just Mm. two two people in the crew and um I she said yes I spoke to her um assistant we figured out that in um June or July it was Pride Month in San Francisco, and they had asked right, right. the Grand Marshal, and that, that was our first shoot. Wow. Like, I, you know, I got to San Francisco, and I was part of that, you know, the parade and and all the events that she went, and you know, I didn't know what I was doing, Scott. I, <laughs> what I, was, I was just, I just, I, I just said to to Ryan Ryan Johnson the the cinematographer was like just keep filming film you know just keep yeah, exactly. Her. exactly and I said you know I don't know I don't know I don't know what this film is going to be about you know at this point so okay, just keep okay. filming yeah but that's that's the I think the core of what I wanted to ask you is like how did like I guess because documentaries are different than features or the narrative films that you don't really know where it's going to go. You just like shoot everything and then put it all together in, in the editing chamber. Yeah, and, right? and, and I think, I mean, it's funny when I was doing applications and you, and you have all these applications for documentaries that have a narrative, like a, a narration, a voiceover, mm-hmm. a story, like historical, like a Ken Burns documentary, you know, that has a, a story that, you know, you can, you can build that narration and then you can bring footage and photographs to match that right but right. i i did not want to do this is and i'm i'm so thankful that i i don't know why or how i knew this i think it was instinctively that mm-hmm. i didn't want to make a factual documentary about a person a bio doc i did not want to be like she was born here and then mm-hmm. she did this and then she did that and and you know i wanted it to be Cinema verite, which cinema verite for the yeah. people who don't know what it means, it means you follow. You're like a fly that follows them around, and you're filming. Right. Them. So you don't have a lot of control as to what is happening, but that creates a huge editing, you know, struggle of. Right, we should have like the ten thousand hours of footage or something after editing. Yeah, yeah, we had like three hundred hours of footage, <sighs> which then you have to 
you know, bring down to an hour and a half. Um, and, you know, so we filmed for three years. It wasn't straight three years, you know, it was just choosing the places that she was going mm -hmm. uh, that I felt were interesting. Um, and we filmed them. And then uh, about a year and a half into it, uh, I created uh, a trailer that we would, a teaser actually. Right, right. Which would we, we would use for fundraising because we needed money. Like, I mean, American Express can only pay that much. Right. <laughs> and it's due at the end of the month, girl. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know I, and I did. I, I shot literally, I think, my the three years, two years, two years of filming, it was my American Express that, you know, I maxed out my American Express, my... Uh, visa that i had um and then we ha we needed money because we, we were gonna hire an editor an editor doesn't work on deferred pay an editor right. needs right. cash um and uh oh god i lost my trail of thought um <laughs> shit. oh we did the trailer and uh, i went to present the trailer to her and louis her husband so I went to her apartment. I want to talk about, to talk about Louis after yeah. you tell me this. Okay. So I play the trailer. He's sitting on the stool, on the kitchen stool, and she's standing behind him. And I'm, you know, further to the right, just looking at them, watching the trailer, anxious about whether they're going to like it or not, what they think of it. So it ends, and Louis, turned, Louis was very social, very social. Mm -hmm. and, and he said, hey, um, can we see it again? I was like, sure. So I put it on again. And as it's playing, he starts asking me questions. Oh my God, like, how did you film this? Oh my God, you did this? Like how, he had all these questions. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I, like, I feel like a hand here, you know, like, and it's Olympia, like, pick, what do you call it, poking me? And as I'm talking to Louis, and I turn and I said, and I look at her and she had tears in her eyes. Oh my God. And she said, Harry, this is so beautiful. She goes, I don't know what I was expecting, but this was not it. Um, oh. and she said, but, but you know, the, the problem is that you don't have my children. And I started laughing. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Really, Olympia. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, um, we can, you know, you remember you told me that I don't have access to your children. Yeah. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. You know, Louis' birthday, 80, I think it was his 89th birthday, is coming up in two weeks. My boys are going to be there. Christina had already moved to LA, so she wasn't going to be around. Um, but my boys are going to be there with their families. You have to come and film them. And then I will talk to them and you can interview them if you need to. You know, whatever you need. <laughs> nice, nice. So that's that was the shift. Uh, but by then, we had filmed so much, we didn't have much time to go into. Like, there was no any family vacations. Like, you know, we I did a great interview with the boys. Um, mm -hmm. Christina did not want to participate in the film uh, for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. So you know. That's why the boys are in, you know, are in there and she's not. Yeah, yeah. And then how do the how do the sequences in Cyprus and Greece come about? 
Well, Cyprus, the trip that I took, that um, that original trip that I invited her to do the workshop before we started filming. Yeah. You know, Olympia Dukakis is very famous, and especially within the Greek community. So she was approached by a thousand people who wanted to work with her. One of them was the National Theater of Cyprus mm. that I put them in contact with, and they had invited her to come to Cyprus in the future to do a play in Greek. Ooh. The play that she did on Broadway with Mike Nichols uh, that Norman Jewison saw her in and casted her for Moonstruck. It's called Social wow. Security. Right, and right. they were gonna do that um, in Greek with the National Theater and they asked her to come to do it. So when she went to do it, I was already filming um, Olympia. It was on the first year of our, of our filming. So I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna, it's Cyprus. It's my country, yeah, right? <laughs> I can go and live you know, at home. Yeah. Um, so we went, we stayed for a month, I think in Cyprus. Mm. Um, but while she was rehearsing on that play, her, the other big star, there was two stars, her, and Mimi Denisi, who is this gigantic star in Greece, theater, television um, actress, got run over by a car and broke her hip. Oh my God. So the show, the show got canceled. She was stuck in Cyprus. They had paid all this money for her to be there. And uh, she suggested, do you want me to do my one woman show, Rose? Uh, Martin Sherman's Rose. I don't know if you've ever seen Rose. It's I haven't, no. It's the thing that Lynn Cohen um, speaks about and says, you know, I went to see her do Rose and then I told my husband, you don't have to see theater ever again. It's not going to get mm. anywhere. Um, okay. It's an amazing one woman show. Anyway, so she did that. And so um, that's how we, I ended up in Cyprus. Um, and then Greece um she was invited by this uh, greek film producer um and a great man um to go with her family to greece to visit um her parents villages yeah. she had been there before you know by herself she did those that trip that trip uh, many, many years ago in the, I think, late 80s or early 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, but she wanted to take her grand, her daughter and her granddaughters. Olympia is all about the matrilineal line, the, the, women, the, the, the line that connects women from generation to generation. And she wanted to bring the women of her family back home um, to see, to feel something, to have a connection with you know, the, their ancestral home. Right. And I was like, uh, yes, I'm going. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> um, so we went and we stayed with them for two weeks. The trip was for two weeks. I filmed everything. I was, every day I was filming, filming, filming. Um, and it was one of the most amazing experiences ever to oh, see man. them back there. And yeah. have them like walk through, you know, the villages where they grew up, you know, where her parents grew up in and, and amphitheaters and, and Mycenae, the, the great 
you know, ancient Greek empire. Right, right. Like, it was just surreal, surreal. I mean, there's, there's so many beautiful layers to, to this film. You know, obviously, um, Olympia as a woman, as a strong, assertive woman, uh, theater company uh, creator, obviously actress, obviously Moonstruck, all this stuff. But like when it gets to the point in, in your film where she's doing, as you say, showing her grandkids and her kids, like this is where you come from. I just, I found it completely moving and powerful. And it was a perfect kind of um, part of the film where, you know, most of it is just, you know, her life as an actress. And then it gets into you know, the roots and the heritage of her life and stuff. And it's just, it's beautifully shot. It's, I mean, the whole thing's beautifully shot, by the way. Well, um, thank you. Thank, I wouldn't say it's beautifully shot. I mean, um, in the sense that we were shooting from one hotel room to another hotel room. It wasn't that, <laughs> you know, I, I, no, I, I know. ugly furniture, you know, and then when you go to Greece and Cyprus and you come out, you know, out of the hotel. Yeah, room, and the light. And yeah, it, yeah the, the light and the sea and the, um, it's breathtaking at that at that moment. But yeah, thank you, thank you. I mean, it, I, I feel like, you know, I had two amazing cinematographers to work with. Yeah. Um, and um, Olympia is, you know, I never heard about the great mother. I, I, you know, I had no idea who this great mother is. She starts talking to me about it one day and I'm going, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean pre-Greeks? There is no pre-Greeks. I mean, even though in my head I know like there was you know, whatever, but it was like the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, and that's it. Like, you know, everything after that. Mm -hmm. And like blew my mind. And every time we would meet, I would ask her about the great mother because I was fascinated. And she kept asking me, why the fuck are you asking me about the great mother? No one is interested about this bullshit, you know, like this stuff. It, like no one's interested other than me. And I was like, well, I'm interested. I, yeah. said, I don't know if it's gonna make it in the film, but I'm, I really wanna know what you know, because she traveled, I mean, th this, you know, she traveled with archeologists and they went, you know, digging right. in sites, finding artifacts of these um, communities that lived you know, thousands of years ago hmm. before the Greeks, you know, where the, the, the goddess was a female, you know, and right. so I was just filming. Pre-400 pre BC, we're talking. Pre-what? Pre-400 BC, right? Which is when the Roman, or the Greek empire was. Oh, oh yeah. This is like, this is like 6,000 BC, like oh. prehistory. It's what they call yeah. prehistory. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, I didn't think it was going to make it into the film. I really didn't until we went into the editing room. And I, um, we invited this um, philosophy PhD graduate who deals with uh, women, matrilineal, like, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, we brought a specialist in to look at the footage to help us figure out, is there something here? Yeah. You know, and she was able, it was this uh, French woman, Nina, um, who like 
picked it, picked things up, you know, and she's like, oh my God, this is, this is gold. And like, and she connected the dots and then all of a sudden we were able to see it, you know, and then work on it. Um, and, and, you know, all of, all of a sudden the women, you know, all these movements came out, you know, mm-hmm. and it became so relevant to talk about the patriarchy and how the patriarchy, you know, brought down the matriarchy before. And right. so things that were just out of interest for me, all of a sudden became relevant. And um, especially now. Yeah, especially now. Yeah. Exactly. Also, you know, having, you know, filming during Obama. I would, people would say, what, what is this film about? And I would say, it's a film about the, a daughter of immigrants who has struggled through her life and is still struggling to try and find who she is. And everybody was like, literally, we're like, no one, no. Because you got, you got to work at another angle. Like, no, it's not relevant. It's, it's like, because during Obama, we were all happy. Everybody was uh, like, you, yeah. know, let's, you know, let's talk about other stuff. Yes. And yeah. then Trump comes to power and it is so relevant. All of a sudden, my film is like, yes, it's the story of a daughter of immigrants. Right. And it does make sense. Like the film came out, you know, I, I struggled a lot with how long it took to make this film. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it came out at the right time. Well, exactly, exactly. And like so much of what you described about your career, it's, you know, you walk into the dance hall and you're like, what is this? And then you walk into NYU film school and what is this? And it, it's like, and then you put this enormous amount of work, you know, nine years of, of your life into this work. And it does, I just feel like in general, like if you're, if you're attuned to it, it, everything works out for a reason and a time. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. And I think that's what, you know, this, this, and so many levels this film has, has done. I can't wait for the whole fucking world to see it. Honestly. Me too. Um, <laughs> so, um, so the, so I just want to reiterate, I want to cycle back a bit so that our viewers know, I'm going to put all this in the show notes. So you have the Facebook live thing on July 9th. Um, and then you have the uh, the cinema um, virtual oh cinema virtual cinema on the next day on the tenth. Um, so that's where people can can see this and also go to olympiafilm.com. Olympia the film. Olympia the film dot com. And it's it's and it's the same for all our social media: Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, okay. website is Olympia the film. Good. Olympiathefilm.com. Um, I think, I think that's, I could talk to you forever about this stuff, but I wanted to sort of keep it at an hour or so. Um, thank you for uh, doing this. Can, can, sorry. Sure. Can, can we just talk a little bit because of, uh, of current events and the whole, you know, JK Rowling, not, you know, issue with the non-binary transgender yeah. people. And I, I just want to talk a little bit like one of the, you know, Olympia portrayed a transgender character in 1987, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tales of the City um, at PBS. Right. PBS. It was a PBS program with male nudity, female nudity, people smoking pot, and the main character being a transgender woman. 
Right. And uh, it was the most successful show of, of PBS ever. Um, they were shut down by the Republicans a year right. later. And then it went into cable and they did two more seasons. And recently, Netflix came and did the, the fourth, the last installment. Which was uh, wonderful. <laughs> it took me a lot of while to warm up to it, but I loved it in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it too. And, and the thing is that, you know, there was discussion because we're, we live at a time when we're trying to get, if, if, the, if the character is transgender, we're trying to, you know, be inclusive and have transgender actors to play that part, right? And there was a big discussion uh, after I spoke to Alan Poole, the producer, you know, should it be Olympia or should they change Animadrigal to a transgender, an actual transgender? Oh, wow, character? so you actually, okay, cool. Yeah, and you know, the team said, you know, that is Olympia's um, part. The, yeah. There was no way we could have, you, you know, for everyone else, we did that, but Animadrigal was Olympia Dukakis. And I want to say that um, in this time, Olympia, like since 1987, when she became aware of transgender individuals, she has been a, a, a vocal supporter of uh, trans rights. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's one of the things that I wanted to do in the film was to include the tales of the city uh, right. part of it because at, at Pride, at San Francisco Pride, there was so much stuff that we could have chosen from. And what I wanted to do was focus on that. And that's why when she, you know, she talks about her experience doing for the first time and, and asking, I said, I have to meet a, a real transgender woman to understand, right. you know, what this character is all about. And, you know, and she discusses the meeting and the questions she asked and the answers she received. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, to, to shout out, not just from Olympia, but from myself too, that, um, you know, we are, we all are who we are and we have to love and respect ourselves and others who choose to be who they are. Right. And, um, yeah. And, and Olympia was a great example for that. And I've learned a lot from her on this issue. And, and not only an ally and, and, and an advocate, but, you know, someone who actually, like, changes her whole paradigm and, and, and that it informs her work to do, you know, to do that role. Anna Madrigal, my God, it's just, it's, I had it transferred to, because for a while you couldn't buy it. Like, it was really hard to find. Um, then I had it transferred to DVD, about the, like, these really shitty VHS things. That's all that was available. You back there. Yeah, the, the first one. The first one, yeah. And um, one of my favorite scenes in your film, Olympia, is when she's the Grand Marshal on the float in San Francisco, and she's looking around, and I think you're there, and she's like, none of these people, she's smiling, hold on, none of these people know who the fuck I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, like, you know, she can take something, you know, rather heady. I mean, that's a fucking heady uh body of work and and that particular role and you know being in the San Francisco Pride and stuff and 
have that amazing face, you know, that she does, and like under her fridge, fucking out. And she was okay with it, you know what I mean? She's like, I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah, she doesn't expect anything. Yeah. Olivia was always about, you know, doing her work. She loved to work, loves Mm -hmm. to work. And the other thing is connections, human connections, and being present and loving people and accepting people. Um, I've never, ever heard her say a bad thing about anyone. Mm. I mean, okay, maybe Trump. Just like me. <laughs> but I'm saying people, you know, uh, she, she gets political and she gets really vocal yeah. with politics, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, she will just, you know, make you feel like you're the center of the universe when she's talking to you. Mm. It's just like... Yeah. We just got a. I just got an email from a, a guy in, in uh, Houston, who said, you know, I, we had asked it on Facebook. You know, it's her. It's her 89th birthday on the 20th of, Ju- of June. On the 20th of June, and we're gonna celebrate for. Uh, I don't know if you saw. It's Facebook. her birthday tomorrow. No, no, 20th of 20th of June. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's Pat. Okay. Happy yeah, birthday. Yeah. But, but, but we've we've been posting. Like a lot of friends and celebrities have been sending videos. Like yesterday was uh, Shirley MacLaine. If you go to our Facebook, oh my gosh, okay, um, Shirley has posted. And And this Facebook page, just for our viewers, is still Olympia the film. film. Okay, okay. And um, she, this guy in Houston, said sends me two photographs where is him and Olympia in like I don't know in the '90s and then in like 2015. And he said, I met Olympia in the 90s we were in this party um i went to ask her for a photograph she grabbed my hand took me out to the patio we spoke for 30 minutes asked me all these questions about you know what i want to do who, you know connected me to her personal assistant who helped me basically with my like with guidance with my career eventually mm-hmm. getting my sag card because of her this is like a random stranger. Like right, and right. that is who she is. Right. You know, like just gold. Oh. Pure, pure love. Thank you, Olympia. Hopefully she sees this. Can you send her a copy of this? Absolutely. Or like a link? Yeah. Um, if you send me I, a link, I will definitely I, I'm gonna get it up online today. The YouTube thing I don't usually edit. Um I just sort of put it out into the world and then the audio I edit and put some um, music breaks and things. Um, thank you for doing this, Harry. I, I'm just the biggest fan of you and I am honored to, to know you and, and I hope everybody um, gets to see this film because I think it's really important and this woman is important and um, thank you. No, thank you for having me. It was, I mean, you know, We've known each other for for a while now, um, yeah. and I I love doing this. I do believe that she has a message for us. She has a message for us, um, and so I, I do hope that as many people can see this, it would be you know would be wonderful. Me too. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to you know uh, push this out and uh, in my little part, and uh, the world needs to see it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate it. Don't go away.
Way Off the Record has been written, edited, and produced by Scott Ambrosino, also produced by Christian Hernandez. And we are available on all platforms where you get your podcasts. And drop us a line on social media. We can be reached at the at sign W-O-T-R pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening.